Batter my heart, three-person God, for you as yet but knock. Breathe, shine, and seek to mend that I may rise and stand, or throw me and bend your force to break, blow, burn, and make me new. Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chased, except you ravish me. Welcome to the These Days Podcast. This is Dwayne and the venerable poet Ben. Oh, hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's good to have you with us today. And I uh, hope you're uh, doing well. Uh, where we uh, are sitting and where we're standing, it is a fall day and the colors are still out, but they're falling off the trees. Uh, it's uh, changing into a new season. It is. It's yeah. beginning to look a lot like, well, we'll save it. We'll yeah, save we'll it. save it for a couple of couple of weeks. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, thanks for listening, and, and uh, encourage you to, if you like what you hear, uh, invite others to listen to, uh, either on Spotify or Apple Music, or go to our um, Instagram account at Will Be Going Now No Apostrophe, and encourage you to just join us for, uh, you know, as a subscriber, and uh, the Patreon account is there. Uh, you can whatever it takes whatever. Uh, I think it's for as little as five bucks, isn't it, Ben? Something oh yeah, 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 yeah. You can yeah. you can join for real cheap and get yeah. get some uh, access to some pretty cool episodes and swag. Yeah, and you know, just especially the swag that'll change your life right there. Right there. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. yeah. For or sure. You, if you need some nice Christmas gifts, come. Out. Hey, yeah, you could gift <laughs> yeah. somebody a subscription a, a sticker. There yeah, you or go. A st- yeah, yeah, or yeah. a subscription. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that uh, that was an interesting uh, poem. I would love to hear uh, who that was. Yeah, so that was uh, the poet John Donne, who was one of the leading poets of the English metaphysical style in the 16th century and early 17th century. So that was the period. Uh, the the poets were considered metaphysical yeah. You know, you got style. like you got like romantic poets. You okay. got like so. This is one of the the metaphysical poets. Okay, um, and uh, he was also the dean of Saint Paul's Cathedral later in his life, which we'll talk about. And I recently ran across John Donne. I had known the name and I'd studied a couple of the poems in school, but I ran across John Donne recently for a very particular book that I will talk about at the very end of the episode. Hmm. Uh, but John Donne can his influence on English poetry cannot be overstated, even though most of his poems were not published till after his death. Is that right? Yep. That cold open I read was one of his holy sonnets. I think it was Holy Sonnet number 14, which is one of his more famous of the holy sonnets. You know, a lot of our a lot of our uh, podcasts have been about people recently who really didn't know during their lifetime or at least for long periods of their lifetime what difference they were making. Yep, that's yep. true. That's, that's a good right. point. Yeah. Yeah, so he uh, he was an incredible poet and and uh, to this day is often studied um 
as a as a writer, um, but also a profound person of faith later mm -hmm. in his life, as we'll discover. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, he did write these holy sonnets, like I described, you know, when I read part of one. Uh, and it's um, th these uh, are religious poems, faith poems, prayers, uh, you might say. But um, he also wrote a lot of love poems, and some of them very high, highly erotic. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll see earlier in his life that that was a d definite interest to him. Um, and, uh, and, and he came from kind of a surprising place. So um, we mentioned this in the episode about George Fox, but um, the English Reformation officially begins in the 1530s mm -hmm. when King Henry says, I'm now the leader of the church in England. And, the, and then Thomas Cromwell begins to take the English church in a more and more Protestant direction. Yeah. And uh, uh, the Catholics, um, because of Thomas Cromwell and a bunch of others, Anne Boleyn being one, um, the Catholics are becoming more and more persecuted. It's becoming uh, very dangerous to be a Catholic. Mm. It's In fact, not long, it's during, it's during um, John Donne's lifetime that the gunpowder plot is uh, undergone, oh, right. where they try, the Catholic rebels try to blow up the Protestant parliament and king. Mm -hmm. But John Donne is born into a recusant Catholic family. Um, he's born in 1571 or 72. What's recusant? Super unclear. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain oh, you're that going just there. Yeah, a recusant was somebody was a Catholic person who refused to join the Protestant kind of way of things. Okay. To join in the pro Protestant Church uh, and uh, continued to practice Catholicism. And uh, this was a quite a dangerous thing to be. But he was mm. born into this recusant family, and because of that, he was educated at home. He was quite a prominent family, a very no noble mm. family. Homeschool. Yeah, but he was homeschooled because um, they didn't want to send him to a school for that was run by the Church of England uh. that then... Uh, either he's going to get persecuted and bullied or he's going to get, in their minds, brainwashed, mm -hmm. right? So uh, he's homeschooled, but then at the age of 11, he's sent to Oxford. Um, and Oxford at that time is not what we think of as Oxford now, where you go when you're 18 if you get accepted or, you know, in, in your 20s when you're working on your postdoctorate or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You, uh, it, It's a college, which at that time means for young men of the noble classes basically so at 11 he goes to oxford to hart hall which is now hereford college and oh, um, you know who else was at hereford college who he calls it hartford okay jim houston okay there you for, go from the 40s 50s and early 60s there you go yeah. john dunn was a famous alum that's right that's yep. why uh houston really uh, has brought him up a lot yeah um and then at the age of 14 he was admitted to cambridge so he went to cambridge he couldn't get degrees from either institution cambridge or oxford because of his catholicism and in order to get a degree he had to take the oath of supremacy which basically was an oath saying that uh i'm all for the um the english the church of england and i I name, uh, I give my oath to the king as the supreme leader of the church. Mm. And as a Catholic, you couldn't say that because the Pope was the leader of your church. So um, he couldn't get a degree. No so kidding. He, yeah, he left without getting a degree. Oh, my. Uh, at around 17 years old, he's apprenticed to a lawyer in London to continue his education. So he's working in the law. And at this time, he starts to write quite a bit. Uh, so he's he's kind of getting known as a dandy about town in London, and he's becoming known as a writer, an amateur poet, and and starting to be seen as somebody of great talent. But then in uh, fifteen 
1593, Queen Elizabeth uh, makes this act for the restraining of popish recusants. Wow. So he's part of a recusant family, and now this is the act for restraining popish recusants. Hmm. Um, under this act, John's brother Henry was imprisoned under the uh, for this under this act for harboring a Catholic priest, and he died in prison of bubonic plague. Oh wow! So so that was sweeping through then too. So John's brother is dead because of his Catholicism and the way the country is going. Hmm. So uh, uh, by all accounts, that event. Uh, the losing of his brother really sparks John's um, deconstruction of his Catholic faith. Okay. In fact, for a while, he kind of just abandons faith altogether. In his early 20s, uh, John spends most of his inheritance. Oh, I should also mention his father had died, so he has an inheritance. Oh, my. His mother's still alive, but his father has died. So uh, that was quite a bit earlier. But uh, uh, he spends most of his inheritance on traveling. He travels a ton. Uh, with some pretty well-known travelers and explorers at the time. He travels a ton. He um, uh, writes a lot, and he spends a lot of money on booze and women and pleasure. Hmm. And he's just kind of known as a lad about town, if you will, in Hmm. London. Um, At that time, most of his poetry is highly... Some of it is religious in imagery, but it's interesting the way he takes religious imagery and makes it actually very erotic. Yeah. And uh, and and makes the these poems um, uh, really still metaphysical and abstract, but very clearly poems uh, more about women than about anything to do with faith. Hmm. Um, and um, and he becomes kind of known for this uh, this work. Um, but then he meets and falls in love with Anne Moore, but her father objects to John's religious background and his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get married secretly by a Church of England minister in 1601. When Anne's father finds out, he gets John fired from the firm that he's working for and thrown into Fleet Prison. So John Dunn writes this letter to Anne, uh, and as part of his signature on the letter, he writes what is famously known as his shortest poem. It's a, This is the poem. You ready? Mm-hmm. This is John Dunn's famous poem in a letter to his wife, Anne. John Dunn, Anne Dunn undone <laughs> it's it's actually quite brilliant it's yeah. moody but it's quite brilliant yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, it sounds uh almost like a these days podcast type thing i know right john done and done undone yeah you'll remember this podcast now there you go that. yeah um after his release from prison which isn't very long because it's pretty qu- quickly cleared up that the marriage was legitimate because it was performed by a church of england minister hmm after his release from the from prison, um, they moved to the country in about 1604, and they try to live quietly. About five years later, John's reconciled to his father-in-law, but they're still just poor as poor can be. Hmm. Um, Anne gives birth to twelve children. Oh my! Only six, only seven of which make it to maturity. Wow! The rest die either in infancy. Uh, there's some stillbirth, and then some who die in young childhood. Hmm. And during this time, um, John can't make right or ma- can't make ends meet. He mm-hmm. can't find a job either. So he's working as a freelance writer and an assistant to an anti-Catholic pamphleteer. So at this point, he seems to have mostly abandoned his Catholicism. Well, and when he got married, uh, didn't the 
wouldn't the Catholics have uh, kicked him out of the Catholic Church because yeah. he got married by an Anglican? Yeah, he kind of abandoned faith altogether there for a bit in his 20s, but then when he came back to a sense of faith, it was really a non-Catholic faith. Okay. So he uh, he tries to work as a writer. He can't make ends meet. They're really, really quite poor um, as he's trying to um, do do this uh, or support his family, his huge family um and uh he writes a lot of poetry during this time some of his holy sonnets and he writes a lot of uh starts to write a lot of nonfiction. so he actually writes a lot of like theology during this time he starts to publish work after work of theology um and it's clear that during this season of sort of um you might you might say it's his season in the wilderness in the country with his growing family huh. that he is clearly re-examining the ideas of God and faith and church in a really profound, deep way uh, that, by all accounts, really changes him. He, he abandons his lifestyle of pleasure-seeking and really just works to try to support his family and, uh, and really digs deep into the ideas of faith. But he does struggle quite a bit during this time with uh, depression, with despair. Hmm. He feels a lot of shame because they have to survive on the charity of their relatives. Oh, yeah. And he can't quite make ends meet or get a job. I know that's not fun. Um, and uh, and he at this time, he writes a famous essay, uh, by Thanatos. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Bi-a-thanatos? it. By Thanatos? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically a defense of suicide. Oh, man. And around this time, I don't know if it's in that essay or elsewhere, around this time he writes, To be part of nobody is as nothing, and so I am. I am rather a sickness or a disease of the world than any part of it, and therefore neither love it nor life. <laughs> so he's saying, like, I'm not even part of the world. I'm, I'm a disease of the world. And he has, he's not getting published or anything. He has no idea. No, no. His yeah. stuff, his stuff. most of his poems are published after his death. Yeah. He's, some of his works of theology are getting published, and okay. some of his pamphlets are getting published. Mm-hmm. But his poetry is not getting published at that time. Um, but he is starting to become known as a voice of sound faith, sound theology, in spite okay. of his despair, in spite of the, the difficulty of his life. Um, and friends start encouraging him as early as 1607 to take holy orders and become part of the clergy. But he mm. kept saying he felt unworthy because of his young his life in his 20s and mm-hmm. the way he lived that kind of season of his life. He felt unworthy to join the clergy, and so he continued to seek employment in law, politics, or position at court. He keeps because he's from a noble family. Yeah, he keeps asking the king, "Give me a position at court. Give me some some court appointment that I could work in the government, basically, mm. uh, and not have to worry about not being worthy enough to do this um, religious life." Yeah, but in uh, 1614, King James. Uh, the first refuses yet another of John Donne's attempts mm. to get a court appointment of King James fame. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and King J- King James says that he will only appoint Dunn to appoint a post in the church. Uh. So at that point, everyone, including the king, is like, "Listen, we all know that you need to <laughs> do, just be a clergy person." Like, here we go. Yeah. So in uh, sixteen fifteen, Dunn Dunn finally um, decides to take holy orders. He receives an honorary Doctor of Divinity degree from Cambridge. I was the most reluctant pastor too. Sure, I understand. I understand. <laughs> where he's coming from <laughs> and he and uh and he um yeah he joins the the priesthood or the the clergy um after this in 19 in 1617 Anne dies due to complications after a childbirth of their 12th child oh my and john spirals out yeah. of uh 
kind of in depression and despair. But instead of going back to carousing or thoughts of suicide or these sorts of things, he throws himself fully into his vocation in the church and becomes kind of like a pastor's pastor. He's okay. He's a fully. He's just all in. His congregants can't say enough good about him. He's clearly doing a lot of good. He's serving the poor. He's doing all the things he's supposed to do, mm-hmm. and he becomes noticed by the powers that be in the church to the point where in 1621 he's made the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral, which is a big deal. Yeah, St. Paul's Cathedral is like the Church of England church, and it in was it was central London. to the Anglicanism. In that day, too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, he's the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. He's got um, thousands and thousands of Londoners in his parish. And then this crazy thing happens. In 1624, 1625, a plague outbreak, the worst one to that point. There was a worse one later, but the worst one to that point hits London. And in this plague outbreak, over the course of like a year, year and a half, 40,000 people die. That's about a third of the population of the city. Can you imagine a third of the population of a city getting sick and dying? So uh, 40,000 people out of like... Uh, wow. I was so- somewhere above 100,000 um, Yeah, I think it was like... Uh, I think yeah. if I remember right, there was like 150,000 people in there. Uh, less than that, actually. It was more like 130,000, 120,000. Wow. wow. Yeah, so about a third of the people of mm-hmm. the population dies. Wow. And people, as you can imagine, if you have the money and if you are a if you're a priest or a bishop or an, a deacon that has the connections, people are fleeing London like crazy. Like, get me out of here. I, I don't want to get sick. John mm-hmm. Dunn stays. Oh, and wow. during this time, he gets sick and he thinks it's the plague, but it's probably just an outbreak of typhus wow. uh, because he, he'd had it previously. And it was probably a relapse of ty- mm. typhus. Mm. And so while he's Which sick. Which is no picnic in itself. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, while he's sick, thinking this might be it, I it's the plague, I'm going to die. And his congregants are sick, everyone around him is sick. He writes this thing called Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions. Hmm. And uh, it's pretty raw conversation with God about what's like why all this suffering in the world Mm -hmm. and he even has a whole thing where he asks God like are you punishing me for the sins of my youth Mm. since I sinned against you so often in bed are you now like tying me to this bed in sickness and death you know and all these sorts of conversations with God Um, I encountered this book from the writer Philip Yancey uh, mm-hmm. Philip Yancey, famous uh, Christian writer who's still alive today. Of our time. Um, he he uh, spent the part of the pandemic, the um, COVID quarantine, um, taking devotions upon emergent occasions and turning it into contemporary English, hmm. uh, and which is very helpful because John Donne, as you heard me read in the sonnet at the beginning, is a complicated writer, and this might be his most complicated writing. Interesting. I think Philip Yancey said something like, um, there was one sentence in the original that he looked at um, that he just counted the number of words in that single sentence, and it was over 200, 200 oh. words in one sentence. In one? T- yeah. Wow. So he, he, he decided to update it for, for folks. Um, but uh, Philip Yancey said that not, when he was in his 20s and read the original for the first time of John Donne's devotions upon emergent occasions, that he, uh, he, was no, nothing, he said nothing could have prepared me for the honesty of this book. And um, he calls it a no-holds-barred kind of uh, battle with God. Uh, this this um, was written for his congregation. So for people who were struggling with sickness and death all around him, 
he writes these from his sickbed. He writes these devotions for them that are very honest about the suffering, but always turn back in, in honor and uh, trust to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some famous phrases in the English language come from the devotions upon emergency. Oh, really? Yeah, like no man is an island. No kidding. And I didn't know for that. Whom, ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tolls no for thee. No kidding. That's wow. yep. That's from the, the devotions. Does that have to do with the plague or something? Or uh, I, I, yeah, it is. It is about mm-hmm. the plague. Um, the the um, the Guardian, I think it was, or the Independent, I think it was the Guardian in uh, the UK named devotions as one of the top one hundred nonfiction books of all time. Wow! So uh, there's a modern re- rendering of this from Philip Yancey uh, under the title Undone. Hmm. John Donne's devotions, Undone. And hmm. that's where I first encountered this. Uh, I mean, I'd heard of John Donne, but that's where I first encountered this piece of work and started to look into who he was. Because ultimately, he was an, uh, a man who you could see through suffering, through difficulty, through despair, God changing him over time. And his final sermon, he preached just days before he died. He rose from his sickbed. Uh, he was sick with terminal stomach cancer uh, in, in the later um, 1620s, wow. and rose from his sickbed, gave one final sermon that was a very hopeful, basically a very hopeful funeral oration. And some people say he gave his own fu- funeral sermon oh, yeah. because then he laid back down and within days he was gone. And this was in St. Paul's? This was in St. Paul's, yeah. Wow. So you just get this picture of somebody who in the midst of suffering was so changed by God and so um, uh, devoted to what God wanted to do, that in the midst of intense suffering, he doesn't run away. He doesn't run for safety. He stays where the sick and the poor are really still getting sick and dying, mm. and he ministers comfort to people even when he felt like he had no comfort to offer. Mm. Uh, and it's a pretty incredible picture when you think about the That's, way his story started. Yeah, to where quite it, a change from the licentious days. Yeah, and even just the I don't care about God days. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, and he took a really, really politically uh, turbulent time, religiously turbulent time, and a time of great sickness and disease and suffering, and I think really turned it uh, into, or really used it for um, doing some good and mm. and and being uh, a an avenue of God's love and healing to the people around him. So I was have been really impressed with this uh, book, Undone, the the new um, translation or uh, adaptation of his, his devotions upon yeah, emergent occasions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also uh, have just um, always loved John Donne's Holy Sonnets. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was a little bit, it's kind of fun to learn a little bit about the person that those came from and the life, the pretty complicated yeah. life that they arose from. Yeah, that was uh, good. And it, I think, too, it's a good example of um, uh, the uh, honesty that is not only um, allowed but required in our uh, relationship with God. Like yeah. the, the, the um, John Donne's ability to be brutally, brutally honest to God is mm-hmm. is quite uh, inspiring and I think quite helpful in our day and time. It really, not everything reminds me of St. Jack, but yeah, it really does right. remind me of uh, a grief observed. Oh, yeah. That's it's the same one. kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, I'll have to pick that up. That would be great. Yeah. Check it yeah. out. It's pretty good. Yeah. So devotions upon emergent occasions as in emergency. Yeah. But yeah. And I, I would also say uh, check out Undone, which is the version of, right. that Philip Yancey did. Well, we kind of already gone there. That but. means that we sort of we sort of uh, preempted our um, you know yeah, stuff and the, the one, stuff yeah. and things, the <laughs> the books, books and, and stuff. Books and stuff. Do you have anything books and stuff to say? I do not. Great, I, I, you're breaking new ground here for me, Ben. Yeah, I have to go look, pick up some books here. I'll just recommend Undone. 
by Philip Yancey or, you know, based on devotions on emergent occasions. But also there is a podcast called Now and Then, the Henry Nowen Society. Hen- Henry oh. Nowen, Now and Then. So Nowen is spelled like Nowen? No, it's spelled Now and oh, Then. Okay. But Hen- Henry Nowen, Now and Then is the name of the podcast. And they recently interviewed Philip Yancey about this book, Undone. Oh, wow. And uh, it was quite good to listen to and, and kind of hear his process of of putting the book together. Yeah. So I would recommend that podcast as well. I was in a Sunday school class one time, with adult Sunday school class with Phil Yancey. No way. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. Ain't I something? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you are. Let me let me just drop that name. Yeah. Great. All right. Anything else? I think that's it. All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us. And thanks for this podcast, Ben. I, like I said, it. Uh, I'll have to really dig a little deeper. And um Encourage you folks to do so too if this has grabbed you. So, I, I've wrote, written a little poem to send us out today, Ben. Okay, ready? It's, yes. the, it's the shortest poem of the These Days podcast. Great, here we go. <laughs> wow, now we'll be going now. <laughs> <laughs>